You're listening to Criterion Channel Surfing, a podcast dedicated to the films of the Criterion Collection streaming video service, The Criterion Channel. I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. In these monthly follow-up episodes, my guests and I offer a few recommendations for films that fit the month's theme and are available on other streaming services. Aaron West, co-founder of The 25th Frame and host of the Criterion Now and Criterion Close-Up podcasts, joins me today to continue our conversation about the Masters. Stay with us. The 25th Frame, a listener-supported network celebrating film and culture worldwide. Hello and welcome to our November follow-up episode of the Criterion Channel Surfing Podcast. I'm joined today by Aaron West of the Criterion Now and Criterion Close-Up Podcast, as well as co-founder of the 25th Frame Media Network. Aaron, thank you so much for joining me and continuing our conversation. Glad to be back, or slash still here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for these follow-up episodes, we're going to talk about a few things on other streaming services that fit in a bit with the month's theme. Aaron and I already talked about some of the films by master filmmakers that are currently streaming on the Criterion channel. So let's talk a little bit about films by great filmmakers that are on other streaming services. Now, Aaron, I know you mainly use physical media for your viewing, but what streaming services do you use? You know, it's funny that you ask that because, yes, I love my physical media, and I think that's probably my go-to as far as movie choices. But I do use a lot of streaming services. I think the difference is I use that for my escapism, and Mm. I don't go to streaming services for, say, auteurs or for classic film. Although there are certainly some options, and I think we will talk about a few. So specifically, Netflix, and I'll talk more about Netflix here shortly. Because I do Amazon Prime, you get all the other content, uh, so I do that as well. I do Hulu. That's because our TV is Hulu Live, so mm-hmm. Hulu comes with it. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much it. Although sometimes I'll phase in and out of HBO. Of course, there's Game of Thrones. I'm interested in the Watchmen series, so I might catch that or re-up at some point. Yeah. We're recording this shortly before the launch of Disney+, Plus, and that's one that I think I might pop in on just to see if it's my thing or not. Mm-hmm. I couldn't see myself as a constant subscriber to that, but occasional. Yeah. Work that in the rotation. Yeah. I think that's a really smart approach because there are so many streaming services. It's just insane to try to keep up with all of the content, especially since they're all producing their own original content for it. We're going to get into some original content for Netflix that is really great content, and it's hard to juggle all of those things. It is. I just have started poking around Ovid a little bit, and I have to say that for contemporary avant-garde experimental documentary cinema, it is just an extraordinary resource. Hmm. The titles that are on there. You and I talked a while ago about going to see Wang Bing's Dead Souls, which is the Mm -hmm. eight-hour documentary about the Chinese work camps, and we talked about how much I love my long (laughs) cinema. That's a film that is never going to get a physical release, but it is streaming on Ovid. 
it's really neat that there are some of these services that are going to be filling in some holes in places where we aren't going to get physical media or where we aren't going to get them on the major streaming services. So yeah, I think rotating in and out is a great idea. Yeah, otherwise it's basically a cable bill again. I know. But your point about Ovid, Ovid's one I really, really am intrigued by, and I think I'm just waiting to have some time. Yeah. But also Canopy as well. Yeah. I've kind of dipped out of Canopy once I learned how much they charge libraries. It's not that my 10 films are going to make that much of a difference, but if there are so many power users in my library service, maybe that would get it taken away. But they do also have some good independent, and they have all the A24 titles, which also hit Amazon Prime eventually, and they have the Oscilloscope and a lot of other indie labels. Yeah. I really like the fact that Canopy also has stuff like the Frederick Wiseman documentaries, which aren't available anywhere else. Except for his website for a lot of money. Yeah, and I think that's a great use for Canopy. Mm -hmm. Like you said, all those A24 and Oscilloscope titles, they're all going to make their way over to Amazon Prime or Hulu. Those two services seem to be getting some really great content from great distributors like A24 and Neon. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be able to get some of these contemporary great films streaming not too long after they're released. So what's the first film you want to talk about? I'm cheating a little bit because we wanted to talk about master filmmakers. So I took a little license with one of those. So I'm skipping over my true master filmmaker I was going to talk about, which was Lee Chang Dong, whose burning is on Netflix. I'm cheating because I didn't get a chance to rewatch that. And even though I think it's beautiful and there's this one sequence that has stuck with me since the theatrical, I mean, really the entire film has stuck with me, but one sequence in particular, which you probably, if you've seen it, know which one I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So I'm not talking about that one. So <laughs> to start out with The Ballad of Buster Scruggs by the Coen Brothers. Yeah. It's funny how they have a little bit of lighthearted comedy. Some are more lighthearted than others, like, say, Raising Arizona or Hudsucker Proxy or The Lady Killers. Often their comedies are not as good as their dramas, but they also can bring the biting edge. I think The Ballad of Buster Scruggs is the best balance between those two opposites. It's really funny and it's really entertaining. It begins with a musical number and packs a punch, I'll just say that. (laughs) It also packs a dramatic punch and actually kind of a couple gut punches as well throughout the film. These are multiple chapters. They're each self-contained stories, but they hit on a central theme, and you kind of pick up on that as you go throughout each story. And the last one, which actually is not the best sequence, kind of punctuates that. Yeah. The best one is there's the one with Liam Neeson. Yeah, yeah. And then the other one, which is actually the longest short, it's almost like a mid-length movie, which is the one with, I forget the actress's name. Zoe Kazan. Zoe Kazan, yeah. Yeah. These are ones that you can spoil just by giving the background. So I'd say just let it wash over you. And then the Tom Waits one is also pretty special. It's a lot of fun, and I highly recommend it. Without Netflix and without letting them stretch their legs, not that the studios really rein them in that much, you see them in a new light, so to speak. Yeah. And I like your point that Netflix is giving them a lot of space here that seems to be a common theme right now. I love my Marvel films. They're fun. But because of their dominance at the box office, it means that you have all of these really great filmmakers that are moving to streaming because they're the ones who are going to give them the resources to make films and experiments like Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which to me is, I think, one of the best encapsulations of all of the Coen Brothers themes and styles all Mm -hmm. in one place. And yeah, I think it's a special film. It is. Netflix does get some hate, and I think sometimes it's justified. Yeah. The Elephant in the Room is The Irishman and some of the limited theatrical releases they're doing. Of course, Roma was the case as well. But they really are empowering their filmmakers to be creative. 
not just their original content films, but series like Russian Doll, for instance, yeah. is one that you know you could never see a network putting that out. I think that as we see other streaming services coming out, Disney, Warner, etc., and Netflix loses those rights, it's going to be pretty interesting what they do with the leftover money and whether they do fund people like Scorsese or some independent filmmakers and have them have a go at a high-budget TV show. Of all the streaming services, I'm most encouraged with what Netflix is going to do on the original programming front. Yeah, and the fact that they're acquiring a lot of films at festivals like Atlantics by Matty yeah. Diop, which is one of the ones that I'm really excited to catch this season. Yeah, I think this is an interesting time for filmmakers. It is, yeah. Well, my first film is High Life. It's directed by Claire Denis. It was released this year, and it is currently streaming on Amazon Prime and probably a few other services as well. It is the story of death row inmates who were sent into deep space to explore the possibility of using the energy that black holes generate. They're also conducting experiments on human reproduction in outer space. You know, I haven't seen much of Denis' work. I've seen White Material, Let the Sunshine In, and then High Life. But I have to say, after those three films, I'm super excited to continue exploring her early work and to really understand where she's coming from as a filmmaker and to get into more of her thematic concerns. High Life just blew me away in the theater. I was left shaken and wrecked by the end of it. <laughs> the way it jumps back and forth in time as we start with shots of Robert Pattinson and a baby, and we don't know what's happened. We don't know why they're on this space vessel. We don't know what happened to all the other people on the vessel as well. And because of that, all of the scenes that take place in the past get this increasing sense of dread. Robert Pattinson is becoming one of my favorite actors. He's choosing so many interesting roles. Between this and The Lighthouse and Good Time, he is on a roll, mm. working with some of the most interesting filmmakers out there. Just a side note, the rapport he has with the baby in that film is so incredible. Yeah. And there's something about the end of High Life it takes us into the edge of the unknown and leaves us there. To me, that is one of the most extraordinary ways to end a science fiction film. This is one I cannot recommend highly enough. Uh, I think you just saw it recently, isn't that right? I did. I'm still kind of uh, unpacking it. Yeah. This one's pretty dense, and I really did like it. I've seen a couple other Denis films, probably not the films that are thought of as her best, mm -hmm. but this one is my favorite at this moment. I think it's because conceptually it's so different than other science fiction films. We didn't even get into the biology aspect, yeah, the fertility yeah. aspect of it. And it's something I've never even thought about in a science fiction or even a fiction film. Actually, I think this kind of material is probably only something that a female filmmaker could explore, at least the way she portrays it in High Life. Yeah. Then all the character moments. And yeah, I agree that Pattinson and his baby... The way they communicate with each other is also very clever from both filmmaking and storytelling. So yeah, I really dug this one. Yeah, yeah. Well, what film is your second choice to recommend to people? I'm sticking with Netflix. And just one more aside, I didn't want to not talk about also their docuseries. Mm. They do a really good job with documentaries. But that said, I'm not choosing one because <laughs> there's way too many. Here's why I'm taking some license because we're talking about master filmmakers. So my choice is Dolomite is my name. I'm not going to argue that Craig Brewer is a master filmmaker by any stretch. He does a fine job. I mm -hmm. like Hustle and Flow. Yeah. And Dolomite is really strong filmmaking. But I'm going to take a little license with the term master and apply it to Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Here. Because Eddie Murphy, and I think I'm a little older than you, Josh, but you know, I think of him as a comedy master, almost in the vein of like a Harold Lloyd or Buster Keaton, mm -hmm. Chaplin. He had a long drought 
You can talk about dream girls and some other roles, but as far as the comedian and really just having that energy, we haven't seen that in a very, very long time. You know, if this were a sport, he'd be comeback player of the year for sure. Yeah. So Dolomite is, it's essentially the same story as The Disaster Artist, just with a different type of film. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't quite call Dolomite a so bad it's good film, but such a phenomenon and so different. It's not Citizen Kane either. He has so much energy with the character, and he's so much fun, as is Wesley Snipes and some of the other supporting cast. And it's kind of a longer movie, too, but it really flies by. One thing that it accomplishes is I watched Dolomite afterward just because it kind of gives you the film through the eye of the filmmaker. And really, Mm. you see their passion and what they love about the film and subsequently what the cult audiences loved about the film and what makes it attractive. But what's funny is Dolomite is my name makes Dolomite the film better. And in fact, seeing Mm. the original actor in the role, I was kind of longing for Murphy because Murphy was a better Dolomite than Dolomite. (laughs) just so much fun and i was really pleased by this i highly recommend people go see that i guess during oscar season oh that's great i'm really really eager to check this one out this one sounds fantastic and i really like what you're talking about the idea of eddie murphy as the master here when you look back at classic hollywood while we have some great auteurs that came out some great directors i think there's also this idea that we have a lot of stars who shaped their personas Mm -hmm. who shaped the work that they were doing They were the actor as auteur. And when you go to see a Cary Grant film, you pretty much know what you're going to get in a Cary Grant film or a Catherine Hepburn film or, you know, the bundles that we're getting on Criterion Channel, like the Barbara Stanwyck set. You know kind of what you're getting into there. And I love this idea that Eddie Murphy, you know, he really is an auteur on his own. The energy and the comedy that he brings to his work is really Mm -hmm. unique and really special. So, yeah, I'm excited to check this out. You could apply that to Laurel and Hardy, Monty Python, Peter Sellers, actually. He kind of has that. So, yeah. Love Eddie Murphy. I missed him. That's really good to hear. Well, my second choice, I'm going to also stretch the rules a little bit. And that's part of what's fun about having your own show is you get to stretch (laughs) the rules. I'm going to recommend also on Netflix, She's Got to Have It. It is a television adaptation of the Spike Lee film from 1986, and Spike Lee's adapting it himself. He's directed every episode of the two seasons that they've released. It is an absolutely outstanding half-hour television show. He has a more diverse writer's room, so I think he's able to explore the story of Nola Darling, this artist who is involved with three men with more nuance, and get into some really interesting ideas of what does it mean to be sexually free? Does that mean that you can hurt people? Does that mean you have to set boundaries and rules It explores how this affects friendships, how this affects her art, how she's afraid of committing herself not just to people, but to the work that she's trying to produce as well. It is an absolutely riveting show that is really infused with all of Spike Lee's filmic techniques. He's doing all of the things that he does in his regular movies, but doing them on these small half-hour levels. It's really exciting to see him working in a very different mode. It's interesting to see this trend of really great filmmakers moving to do television shows, like Jane Campion doing Top of the Lake, Mm -hmm. like seeing Kerry Fukunawa doing the first season of True Detective and doing the entire series of Maniac. I find this trend really fascinating. I think it harkens back to Bergman doing Scenes from a Marriage or Fassbender doing his television shows. So Mm -hmm. it's fun to see that. Yeah, can I ask you a question about She's Gotta Have It? Yeah, definitely. So that's one of my big blind spots from Spike Lee. I haven't seen that yet. 
Would you recommend seeing the feature before watching the series, or do you think you can dive in? I think you can dive in. This is a show that my wife and I are watching together, and she hasn't seen the film version of it, and this has become one of our favorite shows together. Okay. It takes what is in that story and kind of explodes it a little bit, lets it explore different nuances and different angles of the characters that you might get in She's Gotta Have It. I still think you have to see She's Gotta Have It. I think that one's an important film to see how Spike Lee is approaching issues of gender and sexuality that early in his career. It would be a really fascinating comparison to watch them side by side and just see how he has evolved as a filmmaker. Maybe I'll do just that. Yeah, great. If you're looking for more work from master filmmakers or master artists, that's four films to catch this month on other streaming services. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs by the Coen Brothers, High Life by Claire Denis, Dolomite is My Name by Craig Brewer and starring Eddie Murphy, and the television adaptation of She's Gotta Have It by Spike Lee. Thanks again for joining me, Aaron. This was fun. It was. Thanks, Josh. Can you tell people where they can find you? You can find me at, uh, this is always a tough question, <laughs> Twitter, I'm AWES505, but you can find me on the 25th frame, subscribe to our master feed, and get all these great shows like the one we're talking on right now. And yeah, come to our Facebook group, Criterion Now. Great. Thanks again for joining me. You can find Criterion Channel Surfing at 25thframemedia.com or joshhornbeck.wordpress.com. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for Criterion Channel Surfing. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join us in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group or send us a message at criterionchannelsurfing at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Josh Hornbeck. Our logo was designed by Doug McCambridge of the Good Times Great Movies podcast. You can see more of his design work at dpmdesigns.com. If you like Criterion Channel Surfing, make sure to check out all the other great shows on the 25th Frame, especially the Complete podcast. The Complete is the 25th Frame Spotlight podcast for the month of November. Hosted by Matt Gasteyer and Travis Trudell, The Complete Podcast tackles the filmographies of some of the world's greatest directors one film at a time. They've tackled the films of Stanley Kubrick and Elaine May, and now they're deep into the filmography of Krzysztof Kieślowski. Each episode takes us on a deep dive into the filmmaker's body of work and offers thoughtful analysis of the film's themes and ideas. This is absolutely one of my favorite podcasts out there. I put it on just as soon as there's a new episode released, and I cannot recommend it enough. Criterion Channel Surfing is a proud member of the 25th Frame, a collective of cinephiles, pop culture aficionados, and creative minds whose goal is to contextualize the content we consume in an interesting, inclusive, informative, and culturally relevant way. The 25th Frame is listener-supported, so please consider donating to the network at patreon.com slash criterion now. You can also support Criterion Channel Surfing directly at patreon.com slash joshhornbeck. For just $5 a month, you get early access to all regular and bonus episodes of the show. And for $10 a month, you'll have the chance to give my guest and I a film to discuss in a special Patreon-only bonus episode. And I really want to thank all of our current Patreon supporters. I really appreciate all of your support for the show. Next month on the Criterion Channel Surfing Podcast, my guest and I will sit down to discuss family matters family dramas to get us into the holiday spirit. I hope you join us. Thank you for listening. The 25th Frame, a listener-supported network celebrating film and culture worldwide.